Every day we hoistle in at Pilots and Pick Todd's Podcast. Welcome to the Pilots and Petards Podcast. This is Drew. I'm the pragmatic and bleeding heart cyclops of this podcast, and I'm back. And I'm Jimbo, the anti-millennial, non-conforming, existentialist, pilot critic, and Kenya the podcast. Sorry, hoisters, but the motherfucking magical Miss Mo, master of pilots, nobos, and spoilers, is out one more week. She has confirmed coming back next week. She's coming back. Here we go, Mo. And this is the podcast with nothing much to do about aircrafts, but potentially everything to do with the first episode of a filmic series. And this is the extended discussion for the hitman dark, dark dramedy, Barry. Returning is our special guest, Sebastian. If you missed our spoiler-free analysis, you can look for our previously posted episode where we analyze Barry spoiler-free. So join us now for part two of the extended discussion for Barry. Part two will be our filmic analysis and interpretation. We're going to talk about the plot. We are going to spoil it. And we are going to start off, as always, with our Crabman Award. For any new listeners, the Crabman is a character with a small role, but giving large contributions either to the series, episode, or just our viewing pleasure. I don't really have a strong crabman. I feel like the characters I really liked were, all had fairly substantial roles. Well, well, given you guys' uh, uh, liberal use of like old English, is crabman good or bad? I can't tell. Go ahead, Jimbo. <laughs> Get in there, Jimbo. Crabman originates from episode number two, My Name is Earl. There is a character named Crabman, if you're not familiar with My Name is Earl. He is a great character. He does very little in the pilot, but he brings a lot to the actual enjoy, you know, the enjoyment of the episode. Our third episode, we had another crab man, one punch man. He was a villain, but the crab man and one punch man was a very funny, awesome villain. Important person who had a small role. And so we decided that probably every pilot has a crab man if you look for him. Yeah. If you look close enough. The crab man is, I would say, a good thing. There there have been a couple characters that won Crabman because they were absolutely terrible and we hated them, but we hated them in such a, a way that it 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 had some type of benefit towards the story. Okay, given thank you for that explanation. That was good. That was very thorough. I think that uh Henry Winkler as the acting coach, the improv coach, was a good little gem. I I get I mean, he's obviously gonna be a recurring part of this, but he seemed to serve his purpose in the show and it was like fun to see like, oh, that's Henry Winkler. It seemed it seemed like a fun little thing to pop up uh, mid mid pilot. That's my crab man. He will go on to win an Emmy for this role. You think so? <laughs> oh, he did. He did. He, he already, already did. did. Did he, he really? Did. Yes, he already. Yes. Did. <laughs> and Bill Hader also won one. Oh, the good. show won two Emmys. Oh, good so for them. Was. What do we know? So so that's technically to Gene. So Gene, I would say. Maybe he has a little more screen time than, than our typical Crabman, but he's giving so much to this to this pilot. He probably was one that I was considering. Um, okay, I'll jump in there. Um, I don't know the name of the character on the show. It might be Janet, but one of the actresses who's like just one of the improv crew, um, she was the actress on the edge of like the little bar scene who was like, I'm from here. I'm from LA. No, da-da-da. Like she just kind of popped in. She just shit on the whole episode. 
Yeah, um, I I thought that she was pretty funny, and then I was just like, oh shit, it's Janet, because I love The Good Place, and she's one of the major actresses on that pilot, or on that sitcom, um, and so, I don't know, I just, I think her comedic delivery is funny, and I like her as an actress, so I was kind of with Jimbo on this one, that it was a somewhat crabless episode, because oftentimes ensemble dramas or comedies are tough to pull them out with, but... You know what, Jimbo? That's what you got. You got Gene, who might be a little, little large crab man, or you got Janet, who, you know, I think she was funny. I think that she added to just the actors and actresses being terrible trope. Her name is Natalie Greer on the on the show. So Natalie, Natalie, you know, she's in it a decent amount. Is she in it significantly less than Gene? Yes. I'm saying crabless, dude. This is a crabless pilot. I can go crabless. You know what? Can I say crabless? I I yes. hear, hearing you guys talk <laughs> about it, I feel like like you're looking for that small role and and there really wasn't that. I think it was like you said, it was an ensemble comedy and I think we're going to see all these characters come back. All right, so we're going to go crabless, so no crab noise this time. What noise does a crab make? Something something like that. That's pretty good. We have a lot of practice. All right, so we're going to move into our MVP. That is the most valuable part of the pilot. It could be anything on or off screen. Mine is Fuchs. Fuchs is awesome, hilarious. He's the guy from, let me get the actor's name. He is from Office Space. Yeah, that's that's Steven Root. Yeah, Steven Root. Man, he is so hilarious. And he's a dirtbag. And, you know, we're going to get to Barry, but he has a huge impact on who and what Barry does. And he's ridiculous. Like, just everything about him is so awesome. I love Fuchs. That guy is such a good actor. He is so good in everything. And he, like, kind of transcends the character actor because you kind of – you do actually know what his name is even though he has small roles. And you're right. Like, um, the way that he's subtly manipulative in this show is entertaining and sinister, you know? And, like, you kind of get a good idea about his relationship with Barry right off the bat. And, like, if you watch it again, you know, the music cues with him, he, like, changes as well. Like, like he like he transitions with it and he gets serious. He's like, you're a fucking hitman. When you decided to do that, you gave up all other, pa- you know, like, you gave up any other profession in life. He's like, get your shit together, dude. I always like that, that the profession that you pick that doesn't let you do any other profession. Oh, yeah. It's like, awesome. you're a Sign hitman. There's no going <laughs> back to it. You can't, you know, do anything else ever. Well, well, like there is a really awesome scene too. Like Fuchs is pr- is trying to tell him why he can't become an actor. You know, you're going to be like a hitman, and someone's like, "Oh, that's the guy from that from that spandex commercial." And he's like, "Well, I don't know if I would do commercials." And it's like, "Dude, this guy that know. was so great. That was a that was a laugh out loud line in the pilot, and I think it was in the trailer." Oh, okay. That okay. line was great. That line was great. I don't know <laughs> if I'd do commercials. Like he's already above commercial work. Please. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that that was great. Come on, Drew. Self-indulgent. That was a good part. That's not part that was self-indulgent. Anything having to do with like the improv group was pretty self-indulgent. They were pretty bad now that we can talk about them. And maybe we can come back to them. Alright, Drew, what's your MVP? Oh man, just the acting cast was so charismatic. Um Bill Hader's Barry, you know, like it's it's a term that I tend to use a lot on this podcast. But when I say that like an actor has charisma, it's just kind of like that it's that little extra thing, you know, like your eyes are drawn to them. They may not be like more attractive or they may not be like a better actor, but something about them kind of draws you to their performance and their character. 
Um, and this show just had a lot of charisma, you know, like, like you said, like Jean, the acting coach is very charismatic and Barry is very charismatic. And, um, the female lead who I haven't seen in other things. She's in a couple things, but yeah, I, I also looked her up. Sarah Goldberg. Yep. But she's charismatic, you know, like she is, she's interesting. And, you know, like you can, we've said it in other shows. Like if you're picking someone out who like, maybe you hadn't seen other stuff, like, are they going to do something else? This is a very strong cast. So that was my MVP. Yeah, I agree that, I mean, I kind of mentioned it in the, you know, in the uh, first part, because Drew switched his MVP mid show because it's such a strong performance. Yeah. Yeah, I think you have to pick Bill Hader for this. I mean, we all know he's a super funny guy. He does a great job of, like, bottling it up because you know it's coming. Like, you know there's going to be some funny evolution of this character. And I think that's what makes those lines, like, where he goes, I don't know if I'd do commercial work. That what That's what makes it even funnier because he's been, like, stifling his personality for the show. So, I mean, obviously the MVP goes to him, but ensemble cast, everybody plays a big role in the success of this. So. We'll see. I don't know. But I pick Bill Hader as my MVP. Yeah, that's a safe pick. I mean, he won He won the Emmy. So, All right, Hoisters. And now we are going to move on to our literary analysis of plot, characters, the filming, whatever, you know, whatever spoilers, you know, we want to talk about that we think are interesting. And as we already mentioned, I mean, I, I think Barry needs to be discussed. I had a problem with him. At first, I thought maybe he could have been autistic or something, but I, I dug, I, you know, I researched a little more into that. He's, he's not, he's, he's not autistic. He definitely has a psychological disorder. I think, I think anxiety and depression, definitely depression. I mean, the guy is su- super depressed. And my, and my biggest thing was, I don't believe he's a Marine. Like he, Whoa. like I think that was, yeah, I know. He told me that and it totally blew my mind. I'm so curious. You know, they put the Marine Corps stuff all around. So, you know, he is a Marine, but he's not really behaving much like a Marine besides the fact that he's a hitman. And wouldn't a guy that's a Marine turn hitman not put up the Marine Corps flag like a 17 year old in his apartment? Like you'd think that once he made the move to hitman, he would like downplay the Marine aspect of his life. Like, we're putting this flag up to tell the audience that he's a Marine. But it didn't seem like an authentic thing that that character would really do. You saying that definitely made me, like, kind of reflect on his monologue at the end. You know, like, if he's not a Marine, if he wasn't in a war zone, if he is, like, a very damaged psychological person, that makes that monologue at the end really interesting and intense. Say more, why? Because in his own head, he believes it. Yeah, we know he's being manipulated by Fuchs. I bet on a reviewing with that idea of him not actually being a soldier, you know, like, what does that mean for his um, monologue at the end? Like, when he talks about, like, being messed up from being in war, you know, and then when he talks to Gene. Well, I mean, spoiler, he he definitely is a, he definitely is a Marine because they, they develop it that way. But all right. I also I also think he acts more like a teenager. Like even when he comes home and he's telling Fuchs like, "Hey man, you know, like I met this acting class. They're all really cool." Like this sounds like something a, a very young teenager is going to share with their parents. Like not even an older teenager. Like an older teenager wouldn't care to share anything with their parents. But like so like he seems way less developed to the point where I feel like his psychological disorder 
is maybe disconnected from his military service. Well, I think they're using it as like a sympathy tool, you know, because he's a hitman. He's killing people for money. It's somewhat obvious in the pilot that he's being lied to, um, that he believes everyone's a bad guy, even though he's going to kill a dude who just like had an affair and like you shouldn't kill people for having affairs. So you can kind of extrapolate from that that he's probably been killing like random people for random reasons for a while. So I think that like they're using whatever this psychological illness is to like as a dramatic tool to create sympathy. I think that he's clearly depressed. He's clearly not fulfilled. He's looking for something to fill that void. So I think that any room he would have randomly walked into where people were doing something, he would have like felt attracted to that. So like had he walked into like a bunch of people around potter's wheels, he would have been like, I'm going to do pottery now. Or if he'd walked into a dance studio, he'd be like, I'm a dancer now. So I think there's that randomness of this was the thing he stumbled upon to fill whatever void was inside of him. So I, I think that whatever he found is what he would have attached himself to. Much like a little kid that's like just looking for some love. So it's like, are you my mom? Are you my mom? You know, I think it was that kind of feeling that I got. I kind of wrote off the Marine stuff as like Hollywood just doing a bad job of portraying what soldiers are like, especially this being a comedy, you know? So I don't know, it, but, but clearly as you spoiled it for us, he is a Marine <laughs> and that storyline evolves. There you go. Yeah. So, so Drew is acting Barry's purpose for the purposes of the character. I agree with what Sebastian said. Like he could have, he had a hole. He had a yearning that he didn't understand that he needed to fill until he saw this thing. So I think Sebastian's right. I think it could have been a lot of things, but I think it's also clever writing that all these people who have acting and improv experience are funneling that experience into the show, specifically Hater, like the writer, creator, star. And that's that's a topic we're going to come back to for our part three, our dangling thread. It's very interesting because Barry has no passion in life. He has no agency either. He He's always just doing what people tell him to do. And then he runs into Gene. Gene is full of passion. Gene, you know, to use Will uh, Fitz's favorite word, juxtapose, Barry is juxtaposed perfectly against Gene. And Gene and Fuchs are also very sim similar characters. They are kind of, you know, strong, manipulative, and maybe Fuchs isn't that passionate, but like, but, but the way that Barry is is lined up against Fuchs and Gene is really brilliant. I think in the way that, that um, Barry doesn't have a purpose, I think Fuchs definitely has a purpose. And I think that's what um, kind of contrasts them because like Fuchs is very straightforward. You know, he talks about retiring and like stopping doing this and he lines up the jobs and he has the connections. So I think he has his purpose. Whereas you're right. I think the journey that Barry's going on is finding his, and it might not be acting. It might just be not killing people. Yeah, maybe each season he'll accidentally stumble into a new hobby class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. I think they should get like lamer and lamer as they go. Like he yes. gets really into like bird watching. Oh and, yeah. And, like just I don't know, like making wooden bowls. Let's move on. So part three, we are gonna jump outside of the pilot. We're gonna maybe discuss some themes that are related to the show. And so to the stage. Are Stormy Daniels dangling threads of interest? And Drew, we have been very much deprived of Stormy news. Hit us. Uh, so there is a little bit of new Stormy news since the last time we were on. Um, Michael Avenatti, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, is Stormy Daniels, uh, Big Mouth Lawyer. 
Uh, and uh, dude's kind of an asshole. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily advocate fighting Trump by acting like Trump, but that's what Michael Avenatti does. And he is in a little bit of legal trouble because a former girlfriend of his uh, is pressing charges for domestic battery. Uh, so not his current partner, but a woman that he dated in Los Angeles a number of years ago um, is alleging uh, domestic assault. And so he is in some hot water. And, um, you know, we will see how it turns out. But uh, Stormy Daniels herself uh, is still uh, fighting her fight against the president. She's also still touring the country. She is. We talked about that one time. Our one time our uh, our thread was when she got busted in Ohio. Oh, because they sent the undercover cop in, mm-hmm. and they enforced a one hundred and ten year old rule that never gets enforced. Don't you love it when when cops <laughs> do that? Oh, that's so great. All right. Anyway, not to sidetrack. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, that's that's the best thing about the Stormy Daniels dangling threads of interest. We go off in different directions. There's an interesting theme here about theater and mental health. There's some soft evidence, at least, in a lot of theory that acting and specifically like improv in small acting groups is very beneficial to mental health. There's a lot of indirect things as well that, you know, the link to two as far as actors having more empathy, portraying a variety of characters, kind of build on people understanding others as well. And so there's at least a lot of things suggesting the potential for acting on mental health. And my prediction is in the future, doctors will prescribe acting for their patients who are who are living with some type of men- mental health disorder, illness. I can get behind that because I think that I think that people don't appreciate how much goes into acting and performance. Like there's so much vulnerability and there's so much um, will, you know, like just pure strong will to inhabit like another character and to do so credibly, you know, like to pull off an authentic performance. I think that you have to be like a very, very strong person. And that's why, you know, you end up getting like really quirky celebrities that want things a certain way because they have to be very forthright or they have to be in that frame of mind. So I could see people pushing people, especially like anxiety or depression or confidence things towards acting as a way to kind of toughen them up as opposed to like, because not everyone responds to like being directly and aggressively challenged, you know, like the tough love idea. Whereas like, this is kind of a roundabout way, I think, to build up mental toughness. You know who got in trouble for this recently? Tell me if this is on topic. You get, you know, Sean White, the snowboarder? Yes. Yes. For Halloween, he got in trouble because he dressed up as a character from Tropic Thunder that that had some type of mental illness and got blasted for dressing up as a like mentally ill person he dressed up as simple jack who there was we like go. the movie simple within jack. the movies was he blackface no because that was, was another not. guy from tropic thunder that is the perfect example of a movie that would not be made today as tropic thunder with everything they did what 10 15 years ago and got away with in that movie I'll say this. I don't think the mental health aspect of Tropic Thunder's aged well. I think the blackface thing has aged pretty well because the the point of that was like they were really ripping on like method actors and like people inappropriately doing blackface and like they they address that in the movie. They do not address how poorly they talk about like mental health and so I think that's the part of it that would do really badly and Bill Hader was in Tropic Thunder. 
So oh, nice. Not there too you far. go. Full circle. What do you think about that, though? I think the mental health stuff wouldn't age well. I think the blackface stuff uh, is still making a decent point as to how weird method acting gets. This actually transitions well into the negative effects of acting because, okay. like, I think there's plenty of anecdotal evidence as to why you should not do method acting. There's even there's even some crazy stories of like that end up physically injuring themselves because they won't leave on whatever they're they're acting on screen. So there's obviously a lot of negative probably effects with becoming an actor as well. Well, I feel like it's also like a badge of honor if you're an actor and you're like, I, I got so into the role that everybody told me to stop because I was like hurting myself. And that's how committed I was to the role. The perfect example or one example is, um, you remember that movie, The Machinist? Yeah. Is that, is that Christian Bale? Who lost like 77 pounds. He lost 77 pounds and doctors were like, look, you got to stop. You're hurting yourself. He's like, no, the craft, I have to. And, you know, you could see his like, exposed rib cage in the movie and it was a great movie but arguably well not arguably he did damage to his body for it it's either like the challenger or the contender but like mark Wahlberg is the guy but christian bale plays his like either like meth head or crackhead brother and again he lost like a ton of weight was that the fighter the fighter that's what it's called that was a great movie by the way yeah he won an oscar for that and he won an oscar Huh, I haven't seen that movie. Boxing movies are like... Better boxing movies. Well, they're like war movies or like World War II movies where you think that they've all been done, they've all been made, and then every now and then one comes along and you're like, oh, that was a good boxing movie. But I feel like the bar is high for something like that that's been done so many times. Go see Creed, go skip Southpaw, skip the fighter, you'll be fine. Did you watch Creed 2 yet, Drew? No, I haven't left the house that much. Did you? I want to see it. No, 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 no. Word on the street is is there's more Rocky than Creed. That's what I heard, too. But it is what it is. Ryan Coogler has bigger, better things going on. All right. I like this idea, Jimbo. And I think I think that sometimes actors and actresses and creatives get like a um, a pass for like kind of shitty behavior because they they are like kind of artistes and like they inhabit the character but i think there's a i think there's a difference between like someone like christian bale or uh what's his name daniel day lewis who's a very famous method actor committing to their craft versus like there's stories about jeffrey tambor just being really hard to work with and being like an asshole um to his screen partners so i think that maybe that's the difference like problematic and shitty behavior with like people you work with should not be part of acting but i think that you know, method actors. I think it was more of like an 80s and 90s thing. I just don't know how much people do it anymore. And maybe that's what Tropic Thunder was cracking on. John Bernthal does for The Punisher. And I, which is Yeah, and weird. Keanu Reeves is like a SWAT team dude, basically. <laughs> he is. He's that, very yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to watch that video of him knocking down targets, just like switching weapons. I love that video. Yeah. But, but uh, to tie this back to uh, the original topic as well. These uh, studies that I'm that I'm referencing are not suggesting pursuing a career in acting to deal with mental health. I, I think that would be a very poor, poor option. I mean, obviously, if you have <laughs> some type of anxiety disorder, like getting a group of positive people around you, getting on stage, encouraging each other, that's going to be great. But yeah, you can't get somebody with some borderline disorder, have them move to L.A. and try to get an agent. And like go on a bunch of, you know, that we all know that's not what you're saying. 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> Back in the day, this kind of reminds me of that, like, um, it was a couple of years ago, but like I used to teach a history class where I required students three times a year to engage in a public speaking. And I worked really, really hard to get certain students there. Cause like I was working at like a, I still do. I work at a refugee magnet school. So we have a lot of like English language learners. And then also like, you know, we have some kids who have had like a rough time in life. So like, you can't really like scare them or you can't really motivate them by saying you're going to get a zero on this. If you don't do the, the speech they've like seen and been through like crazy stuff where like, you can't, motivate them that way but like i did have some success like working one-on-one and talking about using theater tricks like avoiding eyeline and um you know projection things to like help them gain confidence because i do think that even if theater is not going to be therapeutic at least like public speaking and expressions are important in like the 21st century workplace and i just saw something on like twitter going around where it was like please don't make kids like do speaking presentations in class like some of them have a lot of anxiety or like this, this, and this. And I'm like, I don't think you should stop asking kids to talk in class. I think that teachers can be more, you know, thoughtful and respectful and learn more about their kids. But I, as a professional, am very much against like totally letting all kids opt out because I can't think of a profession in 21st century America that doesn't require some form of public expression. I don't like that either. It's just like anything in school. You know, you you adapt it to fit students, you know, the best you can. So to say that, that some students don't have to do something just because their parents call in because they get anxiety. I mean, yeah, like anxiety is like a real thing, but there's ways to overcome anxiety. And I think that's what these improv studies are, are really saying. One of them was specifically referencing education where they found that, that, uh, that the improvisation in small groups was a powerful teaching tool to promote deep learning. So th- there's evidence to suggest the benefits for teaching as well. And I think it's, you know, you get kids to do something fun. You have to just find the way to make it a positive learning environment. And kids will, you need to overcome challenges in life. Like like the sooner you learn to do that, the better off you're going to be in life. And so that's just one thing you need to overcome. One, one of many things in life. No, I agree. hundred percent. You should put that on a Pilots and Petard uh, uh, coffee mug. I'd buy that. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I'm good on that, Jimbo. How are you? Let's move then. So now we are going to move into our Petardar. These are recommendations for listeners based on the pilot viewing experience for this episode. And I I have one that's a little questionable because uh, there was some pushback for the movie The Accountant with Ben Affleck. You have another white guy portraying a autistic person with superpowers. And so that's that's a bit of a, a cliche that, that some people don't really appreciate. But I think if you like assassin movies, it is an excellent assassin movie. So I'm still going to recommend it with that problematic asterisk aside it. I'm just going to ramble and you tell me if I'm making any sense here. There is this thought that because somebody is mentally ill, they can somehow be convinced to murder people. And I think that is such a leap that is based in nothing. You know, it's like he's an accountant and he's autistic. Therefore, he's a great murderer, you know, and it's like, whoa, just because you're mentally ill does not mean you have the capacity or could be prompted to murder. Yeah, they get stigmatized, you know, there's it's like taboo. Is that making any sense? Like when you see mental illness, it goes hand in hand with like, oh, it's because he's mentally ill that he does this horrible thing and he becomes very good at it. 
I don't know. So that's that's the problem with the autistic person with superpowers. It's the uh, savant, you know, autistic person, which is a very small representation of autistic people. Yet they get all the screen time. So so that's definitely the problematic aspect. You you very rarely see the non savant autistic person on on the big screen. Uh, what else you got there, Jimbo? Killing Eve. So I, I ripped on the pilot a little bit. As in, I said, I, I didn't think I didn't enjoy it as good, but Killing Eve is a very strong season. I'll add that Barry is a very strong season as well. So Killing Eve should definitely be on there if you like if you like assassins. And then my 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 last one, there's a TED talk by Adam Driver. You might know him in some of his disgusting Kylo movies Red. as as uh, the Last Jedi. Yeah, like the Last Jedi. It's Kylo but Red. he gives he gives a, a fairly cool short TED talk. It's called My Journey from Marine to Actor. I think it ties really well with with Hater being a Marine and, and more and more so like the actual series than just the uh, pilot. But that's a, a nice TED talk. It's very short and it's very cool. Yeah, I'll say this, too. I've read an article about when Adam Driver was at Juilliard, um, apparently like becoming an actor. Like, again, it's like a very vulnerable thing. It's a very intense thing. Um, he would just do these things sometimes, according to the other people who worked with him, to, like, push himself into these weird places. Like, he would run, like, I think it was, like, somewhere like 8 or 10 miles every morning from his house to Juilliard because he lives in a different part of Manhattan. Sometimes he would give himself, like, um, like feats that he wanted to finish in a day. Like, one time he wanted to finish 36 eggs in a day. Another time he, like, challenged himself to do a 1,000 push-ups in a day, like, at school, between classes and during classes. And then apparently his acting partners were like, he was such an intense actor and he would give such intense feedback that like the people he worked with were like reduced to tears, but everyone loved working with him because he was like just really good. Rob Riggle is another um, famous Marine turned comedian. I'm sure you know that Jimbo, right? Actually, I don't. He has a great story about, I won't tell it, but it'll be easy to find about being, he was at a recruiting station in Manhattan right when 9-11 happened like pre comedy. So he has like a really powerful story about helping in the recovery efforts and like looking for people and stuff and how he went from the Marine Corps to somehow ending up in improv comedy. That's a good one uh, to look up Jimbo, given your history. Uh, so I have two recommendations and these are both kind of like where um, crime and murder meet the Hollywood life. The first one is get shorty. Um, which is a very cool um, movie with John Travolta and Dane DeVito about a, a hitman who comes out to Hollywood and decides he doesn't want to be a hitman anymore. He wants to get into the to the biz, but he's more of like a, a sleazy New Jersey, um, like loan shark style hitman. So it's a different type of story. And the other one is Pulp Fiction. Um, there's a there's a lot of killing people in Pulp Fiction. There's also a lot of Hollywood BS. So I think both of those shows would definitely fit into our. Uh, Barry episode. All right. And from there, Hoisters, we are going to move into part four. And this is our fun part. It is a trivia. It is very much meets its trivia title. It's very meaningful questions. And we are going to put Sebastian against Drew. And I think Drew could could potentially be our number one contender. He's he's uh, he's had a pretty long career. He's won a lot. He's lost a little. And I think if you can win tonight, Drew, I think I think we can maybe call you our number one contender. All right, let's get in there. I also feel good about Drew's chances for what it's worth. I'm on I'm on team Drew. 
Here's the thing. Jimbo actively works against me. Got he it. colludes with uh, with the, the other players to give them as many points and chances as possible. So don't worry, man. You're, there's going to be a lot of love thrown your way. I've helped Drew before, for the record. I am the judge. I am the jury. I decide what goes and what doesn't go. And so Drew's buzzard is going to go like this. Buzz. And Sebastian's buzzard is going to go like this. Ding. Nice, safe choice. Thank you. There are going to be five questions. I will have a extremely easy tiebreaker question if it comes down to that. All right. These are all straightforward. Let's go. Can you let us know which ones are going to be uh, multiple choice first? There's no multiple choice. Do I need a pen and paper? This is quickly getting serious. No, man. Yeah, it, you're it fine. Yeah, you're fine, shit. but be, but be ready. Serious. Okay. You're not fine. You're not fine. Do I ding when I know the... Okay, no. Yeah, okay, so you can buzz in whenever you want. You don't have to finish the question. Buzz as late as possible. Let's do this. For one point, in Barry's studio apartment, what decorative things are hanging up on his wall? Ding. Sebastian. Marine Corps flag that we talked about. Oh, I remember a, a TV... Well, obviously a TV. He's playing some, like, racing game. But that's not going to count as the answer. Was there a fish tank? So the, this question is specifically talking about things hanging up on the wall. Uh, a fish tank's on a wall, kind of. I've never seen that before, but... All right, all right. So that's... Okay, that's all I got is the, the flag. That is not the full answer. So, Drew, would you like to come in and complete this answer? I'm going to say there's a Marine Corps flag. There's an American flag. There is a, um, a a fake painting, like one that you would buy at like a store, not an actual painting of some nature and wildlife. And um, there's a there's a, a light up sign of some kind. Okay, I'm gonna give Sebastian that point. I can't believe wow. this, you guys. There's a Metallica poster. They showed it more than one time. Metallica, come on, I don't man. Remember. I don't remember. There was a light up lamp clock hanging by his door but drew did not add enough to to sufficiently steal that point yeah. take that drew sebastian's going into question number two with a one point lead this is going to be a two-part question so if you would like to for know points for one point if you would like to know both questions you should listen to the whole thing all right which airport does Barry fly into on his trip to California? And why does Fuchs tell Barry they use that airport? Buzz. Ding. I, I heard Drew a little bit quicker. So, Drew, I'm going to give you the, the first chance. Ontario. And it's to throw off the scent. Although Barry thinks it's because it's cheaper. I'm going to give you that point. He, he, um, he, he also adds that, that it's smart. Smart and cheaper. Yeah, just a good Fuchs line. Okay, question number three. We are tied up 1-1 for one point. Woo! Why does Barry bring up stabbing Ryan Madison in the nuts? Buzz. Drew. Oh, because Fuchs tells him to. Because he thinks that it'll impress that crime boss guy, and then the crime boss guy and his, and his alopecia friend are like, why don't you shoot him? Why would you do that? That is correct. Fuchs says they are, quote, kind of guys that would find that intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be intrigued, right? Yeah. I'd be like, why they'd stab him in the nuts? Yeah, they obviously were not into it, that. It is intriguing. That's one of my favorite things. Like when you take like a workplace trope, like dealing with new people and having to get to know new people, but you put it in like really weird 
situations. Like that's always funny. Yeah, and so obviously there's going to be at least two Fuchs questions in this in this uh, Petard trivia. Question number four: Drew just stepped up, got a two-one lead in the pilot. What are the two movies that the acting class reenacts during the episode? I can't hear you guys. Can you hear me? There's two different reenactment scenes. What are the two movies? I can picture them, but the names aren't coming to me. Drew dropped off my video thing, by the way. Did we lose Drew? Does that mean I win? You, yeah, you may have. You may have just won by four. <laughs> Take that, Drew. <laughs> I, re- I can picture him in my head. He's like eating the... the, the He's eating the the takeout and he has like the dreads on. I should have known if you guys have me back, if if I'm honored to be invited back. I'm going to watch this with like a a steno pad and take notes now that I know how this thing works. Since you were gone, I I won by default. (laughs) No. Redo the question. Did you hear question four? No. So far, um, Sebastian has, has given an answer. He's he's going to get the point unless you can get a closer answer. All right. Tell me the question. Chicanery. Someone cut me out of the call, I guess. Hey, Sebastian's very, very computers. sneaky. I play to win, man. I play to yep. win. Right. In the pilot, what are the two movies that the acting class reenacts? So there's two movies. True Crime is one of them. And then the other is Do the Right Thing. All right. I'm going to give that point to Sebastian. The it's oh. true romance, Drew. Come on. Oh shit, you're right. And okay. It's Magnolia. Oh, wouldn't have gotten either. I I should have gotten true romance. They even okay. mentioned true romance. The uh, the, I know, that was one I... of the reasons uh, Barry was like, "Yeah, it was cool, man. They did true. They did a scene from True Romance." Anyways, question number five. Here this we go. Is for, this the, is everything. It's on the line here. We're we're going in tied two two. What is the title of the book that Ryan gives to Barry? Closest answer will get this oh point. Oh my gosh. What is the title of the book that Ryan gives to Barry in the pilot episode? The book written by Gene. So we're both guessing here at yeah, this point. Yeah, closest right? answer will ding, win. Go, go ahead, Sebastian. Right, finding finding your inner uh uh star. That's my guess. Finding your inner star. Drew, can you get closer than finding your inner star? Sorry, finding your inner star. Let's see. Um, the journey to your true inner actor. Ooh. Okay, I'm gonna give Sebastian the point. Drew, you you're not <gasps> yeah! gonna be you're you're not gonna go what's home the, with what's the title? Ooh! What is the, the title? The title is "Hit Your Mark and Say Your Lines." Oh. How's he closer? You're both How, yeah. equally far away, and he answered first. What is the what is the tiebreaker question? Fine, we'll go to the tiebreaker question. Tiebreaker. Okay. Jesus Christ, Jango. <laughs> if there's ever been evidence of you being against me, it's like, hey, both of you are nowhere near the right answer. Uh, he was a little closer, I think, I think, but that's fine. Thematically, I was closer. Yes. You had to answer first. Okay. You're, you pretty much stole his answer with different words. But let's, but let's do a tiebreaker question. And Sebastian is go. getting the honorable award, you know, definitely. All right. For a tiebreaker. This will come down to a true or false question. Need be. What job does Barry tell the acting class he has? Ding. Sebastian. Salesman. Oh, Buzz. Go ahead, Drew. Uh, he is a um, a television salesman. No, he's a power tool salesman. 
Uh, he is he is not. He is quote sales auto parts end quote. So Sebastian's gonna uh, get that point. Sales what? auto parts. Power tools are closer to the auto parts. He I said like salesman first, man. This game's great. And I was more specific and closer. Yeah, but you you dinged in second, man. You know, if, if you would have dinged in first with that answer, I, I, I would have gave it to you. But you kind of have to add something. It's all about the ding. I did add something. Hmm. Power tools are way closer to auto parts. Yeah, Drew, you just... Some power tools are used with auto parts. You're just not number one contender material, bud. You know? Uh, <laughs> I'll get back someday, man. Yep. Next week. Maybe. You always got next yeah. week. Hoisters. If you can't tell by the plugs we are about to announce, the show is officially over. But if you love us as much as we love us, we're going to stick around for a few more minutes. There is at least one funny story that I think I should uh, share. And then Sebastian was going to share something as well. About Jill Biden? Yep. And then Drew's been gone for three weeks. Drew might have some stuff to share as well. We would like to thank Jake Drew for our intro and outro music. You can contact him and he can mix you some intro or outro music. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and or our Facebook group. And as always, you need to follow our blog so you can participate in the pre-recording discussions. And as I mentioned, we are trying a new experiment over the next few weeks with a new format. Let us know what you think so we can fine-tune and constantly improve the podcast. Drew, you want to tell them about your uh, other stuff? The reason I was off for a couple weeks is uh, my wife gave birth to our second daughter, Congratulations. A little messy. She was uh she came out nine pounds, two ounces, two weeks early, so she was big. And um we thought that the first kid was, you know, a little a little terror, a little monster. Oh my god, the first kid is amazing and nice and kind compared to this one. Because the first one is just a little sass monkey, but this one is a little like Queen Diva. She just gets offended easily and she just like puts up with like zero bullshit. So good for her. Exactly. We got a new queen in the house. Everyone is everyone else's intern. And we are all the unpaid intern of Lil Messi. So yeah, she's she's back in the world. And there'll be more stories than just Tori and Emma. We got a new friend. Nice. And and uh, Drew, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but but I, I think we should dedicate our podcast to our daughters. So in 30 years from now, they, they can go back and find out which TV shows are worth watching. <laughs> it's true. It, it might be the only worthwhile result of this podcast. Jimbo, I owe you a congratulations too. You just had a little girl, right? More than five and a half. Yeah, man. She's she's almost half a year old. Wow. Good stuff. For any of the Southern Oregon listeners, uh, Sebastian, he was a reporter on the local news, big time su- superstar in Southern Oregon. You guys probably can't tell, but I have a scar above above my my eyebrow. He tried to kill me once with a surfboard, a heavy, very, very heavy surfboard. The star, the scar looks good, man. It's healing really well. Yeah, it well. does. Yeah, it's only it been looks, what yeah, seven you can years? Even tell right now. It's nice. Yeah, someone married you. You did okay. You know, the lady at the surf shop was real nice. You know, she she told me to stop being a baby and uh, just leave it alone. So we went out, and kept kept surfing, but uh, and then and then a couple, uh, maybe a year later, Sebastian, he tried to kill my dad with that same surfboard. He he, he broke his foot. Smash the surfboard into my dad's foot. He could he couldn't walk. For <laughs> I weeks. did. I think so. No, Jesus. that wasn't it's, that big. Zero well, is a super fan. First of all, first of all, that surfboard was from like the 1500s yeah, it's heavy, or something. Man. It, it's it a was, heavy duty it, surfboard. It weighed 200 pounds, made out of all wood. 
It was like the third surfboard ever made. Very, very dangerous. I, I vividly remember crashing into you, but I have no memory of injuring your dad. And I'd like to publicly apologize now to everybody listening. You you had borrowed the surfboard. And so you went to pick it up and you, and you dropped it and it dropped oh, on his no. foot and broke his foot. The surfboard's really heavy. Did I really break it? I think he broke I his foot. I didn't break his foot, did I? I think you're responsible, man. You're kind of clumsy. Oh my yeah. God, that's terrible. He's a really kind man. That's <laughs> fucked up. I feel really bad. Yeah, I was in Africa at the time and I remember just hearing about it. It was really funny. Okay. He must have not told me that his foot was broken. I don't think it he probably been, didn't. It it would have been seared in my memory had I broken your dad's foot. Maybe you broke his but, toe. But <laughs> Okay. Now that you're telling me this, I feel terrible. Yeah, so same surfboard. Terrible. Two two um attempted murder charges that uh we let go. I'm innocent. That's all that matters. I beat the charges. <laughs> All right, but you you had a story to share, and then and then I think we could probably close up shop. Yeah, well, you guys brought up Jill Biden as like the the patron saint of this podcast or something, or what's what's the, what's the? She's going to be our Jill? host, our claim to fame, or sorry, okay. yeah, Gu- guest well, host. So you called me a few years ago, I think, because uh, you guys were going to go on a trip to Peru. Yep. Did you go? You went. I went. Right? Yeah. You had a good time. Yeah. I would do it a little differently now, but yeah. So my mom's from Peru and uh, I hadn't been in like 10 years. And I think I went the year before you went. And of course, like the big draw there is Machu Picchu. It's one of the seven wonders of the world or uh, whatever the big secret Incan civilization. And so we get to the hotel in the city and there's all this like commotion and like all these Americans there in suits, like bringing in big pelican cases. So we're like, what is going on? And one of the waiters goes, oh, Hillary Clinton is here. I was like, there's no way Hillary Clinton's here. We're like mid-election. She's running for president. She's not at Machu Picchu. But of course, that was like the one name that they knew from American politics was Hillary Clinton. And sitting at the table next to us is like one of the staff members straight out of D.C., this like annoying young American kid talking way too loud, just like eating way too much food. And of course, you know, Machu Picchu's like super high elevation, right? So we get to the park and there's this big, we couldn't have planned it any better. There's this big caravan and there you go. It's like Jill Biden walking into the park right when we're there. And she was like on some women empowerment tour of South America and was having like the Secret Service advance team come in right when we were there. So that was super cool. We couldn't have planned it any better. But like the icing on the cake of the story is that American guy that was just like talking loud and eating and drinking beers the night before puking off the side of Machu Picchu wow. because he did not anticipate at all the altitude would hit him. So that was great watching like Jake from the advance team. He's just he's probably the host out. of Crooked Media podcast at least. Oh, he, he, might be. he probably is. So I'll put in a word for Jill uh, to Jill Biden for you guys. And uh, Sebastian Roberts is friends with Bernie Sanders. Now Drew hates Bernie Sanders, but but not a fan. You know, but some of our listeners at home probably like Bernie. And and Sebastian and Bernie are buddies. So if you want to get a Bernie connection, talk to Sebastian. We're not buddies, but you did see my picture with Bernie. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah, man. Yeah, that was. I, I got to interview him uh, for. I say interview, but uh, I got like three questions, and they just that sounds like an interview you to me. A room. But- you get your three questions, shake your hand, and you go. And 
And he was that was while he was still in contention for the presidency. And he was trying to hit as many cities as possible. He did. He hit a lot of cities. What city were you in? That was in Dallas, Texas. Oh, cool. So he waved his finger at me. He did the famous, um, now listen here. Like he did the famous finger wave. Nice. So that was fun. No, Bernie. Okay. Well, cool. All right, man. Well, thanks for having me, guys. No, Sebastian, thanks for coming on, man. It was very cool. Such a a little show for such a big star. So, you know, please, guys, (laughs) I'm honored to be on the uh, the Pilots and Petards podcast. Put it on your CV. You're you're a real life podcaster, man. He was doing podcasts before every white guy had a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we uh, I had a podcast for a solid year, a little more than a year. I was about like behind (laughs) the scenes of of news. Uh, And that kind of ended in flames like every podcast. Creative differences. Uh, you guys will end up hating each other and not be on speaking terms in a year. Oh yeah, we we hated each other for the last co- co- couple of weeks. You know, we just make up. You know, we just made up today. It follows the same trajectory that a band does. Like somebody gets a girlfriend, <laughs> somebody does. You know, but you 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 kids are gonna make it. I have a good feeling about you guys. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I, actually, Sebastian's podcast was maybe the second podcast I ever listened to. So really, so it was, yeah, yeah, yep. It was when I first started getting into it. I'm, I'm not even sure how I, how I came across it. Maybe you Facebook? texted me or something. Probably huh? Facebook, right? Facebook. I guess. Style. Yeah, I don't go on Facebook a whole lot, but yeah. But anyways, I, like that was one of the first podcasts I started listening to. I thought it was cool. Whoa. I mean, I, you know, I didn't quite get everything really for cool. the behind the scenes. You know, there was there were some technical terms. Newsish, news, newsish. News-ish. I, it's still on iTunes. Uh, the whole archive is still on iTunes. We had some cool stuff. Uh, like Dan Rather did our podcast randomly. That was cool. You know who does a better job of the podcast that we set out to do is uh, NPR Politics Podcast. Have you uh, listened to that? It's uh, essentially don't that. like them. It's like, what's the big story of the day? We'd break it down and kind of give you a little behind the scenes. So it was fun while it lasted and Yours, yours was way more behind the scenes, though. You think so? I mean, I didn't listen to every episode, but but I think sure. I started listening to it when you guys were making it towards the end, and then you guys quit it when I maybe only listened to a first fairly short amount of time. Yeah, it was fun. Hopefully, it'll come back in some other iteration, or hopefully, uh, there's another. Yeah, you know, there's nothing better. I really think than the podcasting medium. Like you're in New Jersey, you're in Denver, I'm in Dallas. And we can have like a 90 minute conversation that that people just don't do anymore. Right. Like you go out to dinner with people. Everybody's on their phones. Everybody's, you know, we, we don't dedicate time to just like shooting the shit anymore. Well, I and guess I you don't. A great medium. Uh, yeah, I guess you you <laughs> don't. Um. You guys. Do. <laughs> the general you. Most people. We We are potentially branching out, Sebastian. And one of our branches is going to be politics and petards. So, you know, we'll keep you in mind, you know, whenever you're ready to get back in the game. I'll give you my updated CV. There you go. And Hoisters, you know, spread the love. Like I said, let us know how you like the new format. And we are going to mess with it for probably at least a month. If it's not working, then we will come back to our usual thing. I just want to one more time apologize to Mr. Jimbo uh, for breaking his foot. Yep. uh, And for the, the scar in your face. Yes. Every day we hoistlin' Jimbo out. Every day we hoistlin' Drew out. Ding. Oh, wait, what am I supposed to do? 
Every day we hoistling Sebastian out. 